0: 20 to 25, and this is what we read there, for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Go.
1: Well, I uh, recently found myself watching uh, the show Tattoo Nightmares. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There seems an abundance... It's not that bad. Uh, There seems an abundance of tattoo nightmare shows, in fact... Uh, I think on the the night that I was watching Tattoo Nightmares, there had already been an hour's worth of tattoo kind of nightmare shows, and then there was another hour afterwards. Uh, so there was an abundance of these shows. But someone had told me about the incredible things that they do, that these tattoo artists do on these shows. And so I thought that I'd see for myself. And so I, I found myself uh, able to watch one of these shows. And if you haven't seen the show, the premise of the show is that there are these people who have got tattoos at some point in their life uh, which they regret and they come into this store and there are these three tattoo artists who are kind of, you know, gun tattoo artists who are able to fix things up, fix up tattoos that nobody else is able to do. So, for example, there was this one guy, the, uh, the one that I watched, and he'd had the name of his girlfriend tattooed across his chest. Uh, but then they'd broken up and kind of some pretty horrific circumstances and she'd kind of planted a fake bomb under the car and accused him of uh, of doing it and she'd stolen all his money and all kinds of stuff like that. And so he really desperately wanted to get rid of this tattoo uh, and, and so he goes into the store and he asks these tattoo artists to do it and, the, and then one of these three comes up with a plan. In the end, he got an enormous shotgun uh, tattooed across his chest uh, to cover up the name uh, of... Uh, of his girlfriend, And it's quite incredible because once they're finished you really can't see the original tattoo at all. Uh, it's just the only problem is nobody seems to have cottoned on to the fact yet that the cost of that is that you end up moving from a very small tattoo to an enormous one that covers half your body. Anyway, what's really interesting about the show I think is that in the episode that I watched almost every single person who had their tattoo covered up said something like this. I feel like a new person. I feel like I've got my life back again and that I can start all over. Isn't that remarkable? Just by covering up a tattoo. If only life was really that easy. Well, for bad tattoos we have tattoo nightmares, but what can we do for a broken world? We've been asking uh, people how they would fix the world. Some people said they would fix the world by fixing people. said they would fix the world by fixing politics. But quite a number of people just wondered whether or not it was possible to even fix the world at all. Some people fear that the world would always be broken. Will the world always be just like it is, with pain and sadness and disappointment, with mistakes and broken families and environmental destruction and earthquakes and storms and droughts and floods? Will the world always be like that? We've had thousands of years to get the world right. Millions of years by some reckoning. And every week someone comes up with a new plan to fix the world. But the success of those plans is limited because the world is still a broken world. Wouldn't it be great if there was a tattoo nightmares for the world? If we could just go into a store and someone would cover up everything that's wrong And we could come out and begin all over again. Can we fix the world? Well, that's the question that we're thinking about today and thinking about what the Bible has to say about that. And in the passage that we just read, that Eric just read for us, God says that the world is broken, that the world is not as it was meant to be. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in first century Rome, says in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay. The world that God made has been subject to frustration. It's in bondage to decay. That is, it's imprisoned to those things. It's imprisoned to decay and turmoil, and it longs to be released from that. It doesn't take much imagine, I don't, imagination, I don't think, to see that that's the case. We've seen the brokenness of the world in this past week with the execution of those, those people, those uh, prisoners in Indonesia. We've witnessed it with the riots in Baltimore. Absolute chaos. People injured, buildings destroyed. We've witnessed it with the earthquake in Nepal. Thousands are dead, thousands are displaced, thousands are left grieving, thousands are living hungry and in squalor. We can see that the world is frustrated. We can see that the world is in bondage to decay. But what's remarkable about what the Bible says is that that frustration and that decay is not an accident, but it's even the purpose of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. That is God. God is the one who subjected it. It's worth taking a step back at at this point, I think, to kind of work out what's going on. The first three chapters of the Bible tell the tale of what happened to our world Uh, If you've never read them before, you might like to go home and do that later to read Genesis 1 to 3. But let me summarise what happens in those first three chapters. First of all, we discover that God made the world, and we discover that the world that God made was a good world. There was no misery or hardship or family breakdown. There was no death. In other words, the broken world that we see today does not reflect the world that God originally made. God made it good. Second of all, we see that God made human beings to care for his creation, to rule over the world under God. God honoured us with a special task and with special responsibility to look after God's world and to cultivate and to develop the world that God has made. But third, human beings in Adam and Eve, instead of ruling the world and caring for the world under God, decided to rule the world themselves and to rule the world without god they decided to take control of the world and they decided to try and take the world for themselves and for their own ends they they kind of launched a coup a spiritual coup against god himself and at that point something terrible happened god cursed the world God subjected the world to frustration. Work became hard. Death and sorrow and misery entered the world, not simply as a punishment, but also as a result of our distance from God. You see, we ought not to think of God as a kind of a grumpy old man up in the sky who just wanted to spite us. Well, if you're going to do that, this is what I'm going to do. That's not what... not what God was doing. In a sense, God has given us a taste of what we wanted. We wanted to rule the world without God. What would that look like? Well, this is what it would look like. This is what it would look like to try and rule the world without God, without God's wisdom and God's power. I remember when I was growing up, countless times my parents would ask me to do something uh, and I'd say something like, but I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. or I want to do this instead. I think this is a better thing to do. And they'd patiently explain to me why it was that they thought that I should do what they were suggesting Uh, and because I was so stubborn, I'd insist on doing it my own way. And sometimes they'd make me do it their way, but sometimes they'd let me do it my own way just to see what would happen. And invariably, it ended in disaster. And invariably, I wished that I'd listened in the first place. But I didn't want to be told what to do. And I wanted to be the master of my own destiny. And in a sense, that's the problem with our world. And that's what God's done with us. We've wanted to rule the world our way with our power and our wisdom, and the result is disaster. The result is that we destroy relationships. We reject the wisdom of God, which ends up damaging us and damaging our world. And in our, our attempts to make things better, we invent new rules, but those new rules end up damaging us as well. We try to rule over creation but we're power, powerless to stop the cataclysmic events of our world. We think to ourselves, well, I can control the world, but we can't. We can't control floods and earthquakes. You need to be God to do that. But we've taken God out of the picture. Remarkably, God hasn't given us completely over, God is still in control. And in his mercy, he's kept the world going. He kept giving us life. The problem is that God is the source of life and we've distanced ourselves from God. The answer to the question, can we ever fix the world, then is no. We can't fix the world because the problem with the world is that we've taken fixing the world into our own hands. The only person who can fix the world is the person who made the world. And that's God. God made the world and only God can put the world back together again after the mess that we've created. So the world has been subjected to frustration. It's in bondage to decay because God subjected it and God did it because we rejected him. But amazingly, even when God subjected the world to decay, he also gave a promise of hope. Paul says in verse 20 for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Even when God was cursing the world he offered hope. We as human beings have brought misery on the world we constantly bring misery on each other but even In the midst of that, God has promised to put the world right. And God has promised to put the world right, I think, in three ways, three ways that come out of this passage. First of all, God uh, intends to put the world right by restoring the created world. He intends to put the world right by restoring the created world. So we're told in verse 21 that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay And brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And we're told in verse 22 that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The creation longs to be restored, and that's exactly what God is going to do. He's going to restore the creation. God will undo all that's wrong with the world. Pollution, global warming, earthquakes, floods, storms, droughts, death, and decay. All of it, God will turn back. All of it, God will undo. All of it, God will dispense with. We spend countless amounts of money and time every year as people, as individuals, as nations. We spend countless amounts trying to fix the world. The amount of money that we spend, the amount of time that we spend, never seems to, to end. As individuals, we, uh, we try and fix our homes and our lives, our businesses. You think you've fixed everything and you suddenly discover that there's another problem. So you finish repainting the house because the paint's been peeling off for the last five years and you've finally found the time and the holidays to paint it. And you just finish the job. And you discover that the hot water cylinder's leaking. Another thing to fix. We patch things up. And even then, we only patch them up for them to decay again. But God promises to make the world new. God's plan is to put the world right and that involves restoring the created world to its original glory. Second, God's plan to put the world right involves the redemption of our bodies. Paul says that for those who trust in Jesus, the great hope is the restoration and rescue, not just of our souls, but of our bodies as well. What God promises is not just heaven. God doesn't just promise for us to be uh, sort of disembodied souls floating on clouds, playing harps, uh, what God promises is to put the world right, to put the creation right, and to put us right. In the last year, two people in our church have had hip operations. Uh, it's a great gift of God that we live in a country where we have access to those kinds of things. It's a wonderful blessing. But if you talk to, uh, to Chris or Fred about their hip operations, I'll tell you that their hips have a lifespan. They have a projected lifespan. That they're only supposed to last for so many years, for 10 or 20 years or whatever it is. And after that, they'll have worn out and they'll need to be replaced again. We can replace things. We can get new body parts. It's incredible. But we can't stop the decay. And even the new body parts that we get can't stop death. Just like with the whole world, God promises to redeem our bodies, not just to restore them, not just to repair them, I should say, but to make them new, to make them impermeable, to decay and death. God demonstrated that in the most spectacular way when he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus' body was dead, but God made it new. God resurrected it, not to be like his old body, but to be a new body, no longer subject to death and disease and decay. Paul says in verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. As another part of the Bible describes him, he's the firstborn from among the dead. And God's plan is that we should be like Him. Or, as Paul says, that we might be conformed to the likeness of God's Son. That's God's plan, is to make us like Jesus. But that doesn't just involve being made like Jesus with a physical body that is resurrected and renewed and transformed. God's also planning to do a spiritual transformation. God's plan is not just to rid us us of health problems. God's plan is to rid us of sin, of everything that continues to wage war against God. God's plan is to put an end to selfishness. God's plan is to put an end to hatred and bitterness and lust and envy and greed and immorality and unkindness. God's plan is to put an end to all the evil in our world, the evil that wages war against God and the evil that wages war against others and even the evil which wages war against our own selves. God's plan is to put an end to that evil and to make us like God's own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the template, the forerunner, and he's more than that. He's the seed from which the rest of the plant grows. He's the first one and we shall be like him if we trust in him. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kickstarter. It's all the rage uh, at the moment for funding projects and stuff like that. It's a crowdfunding website, and what people do is they put up their ideas on the website of what they want to build or design or make or something like that, and then others can come along and say, yes, I want to support that. I want to give money to that, so I'm going to kind of give $100 uh, to to see that that project actually happens, that that project actually uh, comes to fruition. People do it for inventions, they do it for films and albums. But the trouble with Kickstarter is this. You give your $100, but you never quite know if the product that comes out at the end is going to be as good as you think it is. You know, you might give $100 to your favourite band to make an album, and then the album at the end of it is like you know, you 2s Europa or something like that, and you go, what were they thinking? Uh, you never know what the product is going to be like. But it's not like that with God. And it's not like that with the redemption in Jesus Christ for those who trust in him. We don't have to wonder whether God can deliver on what he's promised. We don't have to wonder whether God's really able to fix people and whether God's really able to fix the world because God has already shown that he can do it in Jesus Christ. He's developed the prototype. And what God has shown in Jesus Christ, he is able to do for those who trust in him. God's plan is to put the world right and that involves restoring the created world It involves redeeming our bodies and making us like Jesus. Third, God's plan is to put the world right uh, by adopting us as his children. Paul says in verse 23, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The centrepiece of God's plan is to make us his children and everything else, all those other benefits, flow out of that one reality. When I was growing up, my parents owned a house. I didn't own a house. Uh, I was too poor. I was just a child. I didn't have a job. How could I possibly own a house? But they owned a house and I lived in it. Because they owned a house, I got to live in that house as well and use that house. Because I was their child, although it belonged to them, it also belonged to me. And this world that God has created belongs to God. We've made the mistake of thinking that it belongs to us. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. And the recreated world, the renewed world that God is bringing about in Jesus, that belongs to God as well. But it also belongs to God's children. It belongs, first of all, to Jesus. God's one and only Son but it also belongs to God's adopted children. All those people who are be- being made like Jesus Christ, being transformed into his image through faith in Jesus Christ. What needs to be fixed, first and foremost, you see, is not the creation. It's not even our physical bodies. What needs to be fixed is our relationship with God. We need to be moved from being God's enemies... Under God's curse, because we've rejected God, we need to move from being God's enemies to being God's children. And that's not something that we can do. It's not in our power to put that relationship right, to make it better. But God can do it. We need God to adopt us as his children through Jesus Christ. And what's truly remarkable is that God has done that. And what's even more remarkable is the lengths that God has gone through to to make that happen. Putting the world right is not a cheap exercise. The Apostle Paul says it cost God his son. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Paul says if God has already gone to such great lengths to make things right between us and him, who's going to spoil it? Who's going to upset God's plan? God's the one who's poured out himself to deal with our sin, to remake us in Jesus, to remake the world in Jesus, to give us his Holy Spirit to fix the world. God's not going to spoil that plan. And if God won't spoil it, who else will? Death? No, Jesus has conquered death. Death won't spoil God's plan. Angels or demons? They're no match for God. They won't spoil God's plan. The present or the future? No, God's the master of both. God's the master of the present and the future. They won't spoil God's plan either. Height or depth? No, God can scale the highest heights, and God can plumb our deepest depths. Is there anything else in all creation that can be, come between us and God and come between God's plan to put the world right? Is there anything that can fall God's plan? If we're on God's side because, side because we trust in Jesus, then the answer is no. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Can we fix the world? No, we can't. But God can, because God made the world and because God is remaking the world in Jesus Christ. And if we're God's children through trusting in Jesus, then we'll share in the world that God is remaking too. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you made a good world, a glorious world, a beautiful world. And Lord, thank you that we can still see the marks of that printed deeply uh, on this world, printed deeply uh, on the people who live in this world. But Lord, we also know that this world is a world deeply scarred. And it's a world deeply scarred because we have sought to live in this world apart from you. Lord, we pray that you would fix our world. Lord, thank you that you have already put in place a plan to do that. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, you are fixing the world. You have put to death all that is wrong and sinful and evil. And thank you that in Jesus Christ, you are restoring and remaking and rebuilding your people who trust in him. And Lord, we long for that day when our world is redeemed and restored We long for that day when we are redeemed fully and raised to be like Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would hasten that day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.